Well, are you ready to talk? Stop right there. You're about to make a huge mistake. One that will destroy the future. Uh, oh my goodness. Are you? That's right. I'm you. From the future. Uh, how far in the future? I look good. I'm so confused. How far isn't important. You need to make important choices, or things will be dire. How dire? We're talking end-of-the-world scenario. Okay, future me, what should we do? First of all, you need to get rid of your retirement money and put it all into gift cards that you'll have to give to me to send back to the future. Um... Don't question me. This is for the sake of the world. Okay. What else? Sell your house. Invest all the money in gasoline and coal. Wait, that sounds like a terrible idea. Let's hear her out, I guess. No, that's it. Also, in the future, pork ribs are very rare. Do you have any? Uh, yeah, in the fridge. Be right back. Okay, this seems fishy, right? Me looking gorgeous? Far in the future? N no, I can see it. No, no, the advice she's giving us seems pretty awful, right? Well, let's think about it. Looks like I might be going in on those ribs. In the meantime, talk about comics? Yes! I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our first episode of Battle of the Atom. Yes, the very first episode of a podcast called Battle of the Atom. Surprise! <laughs> it's never been done! <laughs> so we're, we're making a little funny, but yes, we're going to be covering the... Crossover Battle of the Atom featuring, like, every single X-Book that was coming out at the time, or at least most of them, mm -hmm. kind of all in a row. So it was just kind of one right after the other. This is going to be one of the rare times that we cover a crossover where we're not just covering a mini-series that kind of starts and ends. This has an alpha and a, or a number one and a number two as bookends, and mm -hmm. then tons of part one or part twos through nines in the middle that are going to be going through all new x-men uncanny x-men x-men and wolverine in the x-men now this is the first time we're doing this on the podcast but i don't feel like it is a rare thing to happen no and i think it's become more popular recently to mm -hmm. kind of do these little crossovers between a few things without just making it its own miniseries mm -hmm. i it's, mean it's so you'll buy the other comics <laughs> right right it's you know making the tie-ins not optional Right, which making is making them the main story. Just a little sneaky if you're if you're really not feeling the crossover. But since we're reading it on Marvel Unlimited, it's all fine with me. Yeah, except for the fact you finish one and you're like, oh, read next, and it like skips four issues ahead because that's the next one in that title. True, but recently they've gotten better about that. Where with certain events, they will have read next issue in the title, and then below it'll have a reading list. Read next issue, which will be read the next issue in the crossover. I seem to miss that feature. I remember you telling me about it, and I looked for it, and I couldn't figure it out. Huh. Maybe I'll have to help you out. Yeah, probably. 
I, readers, I promise, I have my master's in instructional technology, but Marvel Unlimited sometimes <laughs> just baffles me. I don't know if it's the world's most, like, user-friendly application. No. No. It's gotten better since I started in, like, 2013 or whatever. It's gotten mm-hmm. a lot better. It used to, in the middle of you reading a book, if you, like, closed the app and then opened it again, it would just crash. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, a big thank you to our patrons on Patreon for this episode. Yes, we don't have any new patrons this week, but we appreciate everybody who's already donated. If you want to donate, you can always go to www.patreon.com slash Pod. Give in lots of different increments. There are some cool rewards, including choosing for us a crossover that we absolutely have to cover. So a lot of people will message me and say, hey, have you heard of this crossover? Hey, have you heard of this one? Uh, and sometimes I will... Well, I'll always respond, but... When I, are you going to do this one? Are you going to do... Th- do you think you're ever going to do this one? Nothing's off the table, readers. Just give us that money. <laughs> we'll definitely <laughs> do it. <sighs> anyway, we uh, definitely appreciate all you patrons. We appreciate everyone who's donated on our Kofi, but... I think we need to start talking about some X-Men. So let's get into the summary. Summary! X-Men Battle of the Atom number one. Written by Brian Michael Bendis. Penciled by Frank Cho and Stuart Immonen. Inked by Frank Cho and Wade Von Grabadger. Colored by Marte Gracia. Lettered by Joe Caramagna. Edited by Nick Lowe. A little background. This takes place in the Schism era, in which Wolverine and Cyclops have parted ways over Cyclops' decision to encourage children to use lethal force. Okay, it's maybe more complicated than that. This also takes place after Avengers vs. X-Men, which means Cyclops murdered Charles Xavier while being under the Phoenix's influence and his camp is on the run. Also, Henry McCoy has brought the original five X-Men to the present to try to show adult Cyclops the error of his ways by showing him what he used to be like. Honestly, these are all pretty terrible decisions, but anyway, those five kids are in the present and all but Angel are being taught by Kitty Pride at Wolverine School, the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. We start our story with a prologue as Ilyana Rasputin uses her powers to venture into the future to see if it's worth the present struggle only to see a future X-Men team fighting Sentinels. I guess nothing really changes, huh, Ilyana? Anyway, back to the present, the original five, past versions of course, are eating lunch with their professor Kitty Pride before receiving an alert from Cerebro. A new, very powerful mutant is rampaging in Phoenix, Arizona, and they fly in to stop her slash assist. This mutant lady, Animax, has the ability to, like, either make? or summon monsters, which is frankly pretty cool. Anyway, Jean mind scans her to find that she's had a pretty rough life, and she used her new mutant powers to bust out of prison and take some revenge. They all seem to be handling everything okay until Sentinels show up. Seriously? How can the government keep affording these? A huge Sentinel blast knocks Scott away from Kitty's protective phasing touch, and it looks like he is about to be barbecued. Until older Cyclops and the uncanny, read, outlaw, X-Men show up. They make quick work of the Sentinels until one of their heads activates a huge blast, which kills young Scott. Or doesn't? But 
probably because time itself starts to get shaky and adult Cyclops disappears. Luckily, one of the uncanny X-Men, Triage, uses his powers on young Scott and everything goes back to normal. Back at the Jean Grey school, the staff has decided the O5 need to go back to their own time because these kinds of temporal shenanigans are frankly dangerous. While Young Beast agrees with the assessment, the others are pretty upset with their teachers for making this choice for them, but as Adult Beast prepares to send them back, his time cube activates, revealing the futuristic X-Men have traveled back with a purpose. Stop the present X-Men from making a mistake that will end the mutant race. All New X-Men number 16 Written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by Stuart Immonen, inked by Wade Von Grawbadger, colored by Marty Gracia, lettered by Corey Pettit, edited by Nick Lowe. Back at Cyclops' secret mountain base, the Uncanny team watches footages of their fight to improve upon their performance. Triage is quite distraught, though, since he is possibly capable of Lazarus-style raising of the dead. Cyclops reminds him that the X-Men have some really wild lives, and we transition into... Those future X-Men! Roll call! Molly Hayes from the Runaways, but as a big grown-up lady. Hooded old Deadpool. Old Kitty Pride, Possibly Catherine. A seemingly mindless Iceman Hulk. Old Beast with a cane and a horn. Xavier, grandson of Charles Xavier, but seems like his twin? A feminine-figured Zorn? These X-Men have come back to try to convince, somewhat aggressively, the present X-Men to send the O5 back to the past, as their continued presence is gonna ruin everything. Suddenly, though, Wolverine is unable to control his body, and things go to hell as everybody fights. Things quickly cool off, though, as Wolverine explains the only one who could do that is Jean, who is now gone with young Cyclops. Turns out, Jean had been feeling fishy about this whole scene, as she couldn't read any of their thoughts. She psychically brought this fear to young Beast, who didn't seem to care. However, once she told Cyclops, he was in to make a great escape. What a good boy. They steal the Blackbird and fly off. The Bonnie and Clyde duo decide to ditch the easily trackable Blackbird, but also talk about why they don't want to go back. Mainly, Jean thinks the future X-Men are lying, and also she doesn't want to be destined to die in the past. Cyclops is mainly there for support. Again, good boy. They crash the Blackbird on a beach and peace out. Wolverine and his X-Men decide to give chase, but Wolverine seems likewise suspicious when young Xavier confesses to blocking their thoughts. Rachel Gray arrives on the scene, angry at Zorn for wearing that gear, considering Zorn was, well, complicated, but mainly killed Jean Grey. Zorn takes off her helmet to reveal older past Jean Grey. Bear with us. She reveals that they are hiding their thoughts out of love and reiterates that she definitely has their best interests at heart. Sure, Jean. X-Men Volume 4, Number 5. Written by Brian Wood. Penciled by David Lopez. Inked by David Lopez. Colored by Laura Martin. Lettered by Joe Caramagna. And edited by Janine Schaefer. The gang are reeling slightly from this revelation, but Jean quickly has to put back on her mask due to her growing powers. The beasts, all three, reveal their other plane they built in secret. The dove? Okay, we'll work on the naming. Young Xavier can track Jean, and so off they go. But not before Stormask's kitty, Rachel, Jubilee, yep, she's suddenly here, and young Bobby and Hank to stay back in case Jean and Psyche return. 
Gene and Cyclops steal some clothes and a motorcycle while their pursuers find the abandoned Blackbird. Young Xavier also starts to close in on their position psychically due to his Cerebro Spike, which is basically kind of a drug. Kitty and Rachel talk about whether to send the kids back to the past, both agreeing that it should be the youngster's call. They also decide to do something foolish. After Gene and Cyclops have their own heart-to-heart about Cyclops being a really sweet guy and how weird their futures are, the X-Men catch up to them. They attempt to both fight and flee, but it seems like they are about to be caught. Until Rachel and Kitty fly in, confronting the somewhat draconian methods the X-Men are using to catch Scott and Jean, and in the confusion, the kids escape. They fly out to old Utopia, which is also old Asteroid M, which is now abandoned. Except, however, for the last hope for young Scott and Jean, adult Cyclops and the uncanny X-Men. All right, Christy, did you like this first third-ish of Battle of the Atom? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like, especially after reading More of the Gods. It was just such a breath of fresh air in comparison. Yes. Oh, man. So I think Battle of the Atom, for most people, tends to be kind of a middle-of-the-road crossover. It's like a, yeah, there it happened. It didn't commit too many weird offenses. It's kind of fun. Which puts it pretty high on my list of crossovers. (laughs) (laughs) Considering a lot of them are, like, bottom of the barrel. When crossovers are bad, they're, like, awful. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the, the best and worst parts of this podcast. Like, doing, covering crossovers, like, really, really covers all of your bases of the things that you need to know about comics. They're important. Big events happen in them. But reading them, is some, it's just a pain. And I feel like it's more of a pain to read them as they're coming out than it is to go back and, I don't know, have it all. I Maybe. How, how, have you read a lot of crossovers as, they, as they've been coming out? I just started to try and read War of the Realms, and I was just... I was not about the first issue. Really? Oh my goodness. I, I mean, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do it. I know I'm going to do it because <laughs> I want to read the Squirrel Girl issues and I want them to make sense. It's true. So, I'll go back and read it. But it's rough. It's rough. Wow. I think a lot of people are, are really into Battle of the Atom. It's interesting. Battle of the Atom. War of the Realms, so it's interesting to hear your opinions. Well, I I think sometimes my brain can't handle reading comics, and maybe it, it just got me on a bad brain day. <laughs> I just imagine you, you just going, all right, it's time to read one of those colorful picture books. No! <laughs> well, anyway, Battle of the Atom. So the best part of Battle of the Atom for me, hands down, is that a good portion of it is drawn by Stuart Eminen, who is possibly the best comic book artist in, like, the last ten years. And those bits are really great! Mm-hmm. I love I love his art. Yeah, and so Frank Cho drew some of this, too. Frank Cho is a fairly controversial figure. He had some pretty loud opinions about the Spider-Woman butt controversy. But I feel like his art is at least fairly serviceable. He draws i think like the first half of battle of the atom the mm-hmm. battle like not the whole thing the literal battle of the atom number one like bookend issue mm-hmm. right and there are bits where you can kind of tell that he draws it like oh there's a shot of kitty pride's butt that was kind of unnecessary but that's kind of his deal if you like butts and stuff yeah also later one of the authors of this it does not work in comics anymore because he um 
kind of did did some kind of creepy stuff. So that's gonna be Brian Wood later. We don't have to talk more about it, but just to let everybody know, if you go, hey Chris, did you know that Brian Wood? Yes, yes, I did. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I, I, I'm liking it so far. It's a coherent story, makes a lot of sense. For an X Men story, it doesn't rely too heavily upon huge amounts of prior knowledge. Which is really interesting because I feel like there's so much that happened leading up to this, but I don't feel like I've missed out. Like, I don't feel like it, I can't read this crossover because I haven't read it. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's that complicated. I mean, it's like, the reasoning's weird. Like, why are the O5 here? But if you just accept, like, oh, the O5 are here and most of them are hanging out with Wolverine's school. Oh, also, Wolverine and Cyclops aren't talking. I mean, like... Wolverine and Cyclops having a tiff is doesn't right. That, it never seemed that unusual to me. That's like their first encounter with each other. <laughs> yeah, so it's like yeah, that's fine. Um, were there any characters that you hadn't read a lot before? I, I think you got the Uncanny Team, and other than new characters, we've read Jubilee before. Mm-hmm. Have you ever read a Rachel Gray story? Uh, I'm familiar with Rachel Gray. I'm trying to think what I've read with her. In it. Is she she was in was she in X-Men Red? For a little bit. For a little bit. So she is, of course, Jean and Scott's. Well, if you ask Chris Claremont, just Jean and she parthenogenesis from the <laughs> Phoenix Force. Um from another dimension in the future. Yes. The yes. Earth 811 dimension, which is like the days of future past. Yeah. But she 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 came back here and lives here, and it's apparently not a problem. But that's less, I get that, that's less time shenanigans than coming from the past and screwing with things that have already happened. Yeah, yeah. Living in the future versus living in the past to, you know, there are days of future past. Yeah. Oh, you have such a grin right now. (laughs) (laughs) It is interesting. So, in Marvel, most things that happen in the future or the past, they just like to do alternate timelines. Right. But the original X-Men, this is apparently not an alternate timeline. This is from our timeline. And they, they, they stress that a lot. I, it doesn't, it's inconsistent, mm-hmm. but that's just what it is. And as I understand it, the, the original five were maybe not intended to stay in the, the present for as long as they did. Right. Because they stay, they stay Far longer, like, spoiler, they stay longer than this crossover. Right. For a few years after this crossover. They only last year went back to the past. Right. Which is baffling. Yeah. It is pretty strange. I mean, but they're fun. They are fun. They're fun and and, and flawed in, in young ways. Cyclops... <laughs> I just wanted to smack him upside the head several times, young Cyclops. He's kind of a goober, but he's trying his best. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, come on, listen. Listen to somebody. (laughs) You don't know all the right things yet. Yeah. I like that Kitty's their teacher, and she seems to be kind of long-suffering. Like, oh my gosh, what are these kids doing? It's interesting, though, because Kitty is younger than the older versions. Yeah. So she is teaching, like, her teachers. In a way, 
Sometimes, felt... sometimes X-Men is less of a school than others, but right now is like the schoolinest era of the X-Men in a while. I mean, I felt a lot of empathy with, with Kitty. I was like, just, just wrangling this, this crew. They're not listening and just, it, it's funny to see them so green. Yep. I felt, I felt for Kitty. I felt for her there. Mm-hmm. So this was originally, as we were saying earlier, actually, I think, supposed to be where they go back to the past at the mm-hmm. end. But I don't know what happened where they just decided, no, nah, let's keep around. I wonder if sales were just too good. And they were just like, because all new X-Men is called such because it is, well, it's weird. It's actually all old X-Men because it's the o, it's when the O5 came. But that was the flagship book at the time. And it was it sold pretty well from what I understand. But it had that good Stuart Eminent art. Do you think that's something that is a benefit or detriment to comics? Like stories getting so dictated by sales before they're that they're even done? Yeah, that's a that's a big question that I don't. Is the scope of our podcast <laughs> going to cover that? It is certainly a problem at times. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get an author coming out with like. A book. It's once it's done, it's done. They it, might, and especially a lot. I feel like most big authors, once they have like a trilogy in mind, like they're gonna get it out there. You know, people aren't gonna tell Brandon Sanderson that he can't write any more books because. But then again, like things like that, I guess dictate sales. Possibly, I think just like a lot of maybe newer authors can get like a one book at a time thing. Mm-hmm. But they, it's hard to pitch like this will be the first one of a trilogy. Whereas this, the the sort of serial nature of comics, you have to pitch something that will at least go for a little bit, and in some cases, you have to pitch something that will need to go as long as possible. Right, and it it it's their their beauty and their downfall. It's true. So, what did you think of Animax, the lady that they go confront after they are possibly going to have the food fight? Let me tell you, if I was going to break out of prison and seek revenge on the entire city in which I lived in, I would definitely first take time to go and get that outfit. She, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, did she make it? Is she like a cosplayer on the side? Uh, I mean, given her her penchant for thieving. Probably just like broken somewhere and stolen, but I don't know where from. Yeah, it kind of looks like a superhero costume. <laughs> Do they just have those stores around? Oh. I'm never clear on if she's creating the creatures wholesale or summoning them from some alternate universe. I don't know if it matters. She's making like dinosaur things and like dragons, weird and monsters stuff. and stuff, and she's riding one of them. That seems incredibly powerful for a person who I don't think shows up much after this. Right? Like, I I was just like, oh, you know, why have I not heard of this character before? It seems like she's, we get some backstory for her. Her character gets a little bit fleshed out. Seems very, no, not important. All from Animax. But, I mean, I. Maybe she's going to Supermax after this. Oh, (laughs) goodness. Yeah, she definitely kind of like gives up. Somewhat easily, she kind of fights them. For I a bit love that she like, doesn't oh. know who they are. Like, what are you guys the Avengers? Like, what? <laughs> How do you not know the X Men? But they're like they're like child X Men. I guess that's true. Mm-hmm. But like, they're wearing X gear. 
That's true. I like that part of the reason why Kitty is able to be sent with them is because her phasing powers means that she can protect them all at once, even though they're kids. And Yeah. That's kind of a neat deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she does that at one point when the Sentinels attack. There's a bit in this where the art in Marvel Unlimited kind of cuts out, and it definitely looks like Cyclops' head explodes. I know. I was like, whoa, this is game changer. I didn't know this happened. <laughs> You're like, and then I turn the page, head? and I'm like, oh, he's fine. So, I don't know. I, I guess we need to get our hands on a copy of a trade or some floppies or something to see. Yeah, I... someone sent us a panel of that art where it looks like Cyclops' head explodes, but it's not his head exploding. Be much appreciated. <laughs> do, you, do you think that's really what it was? No, it was not his head exploding. It's so clear. No, I know it wasn't his head exploding, but do you think that was really the art and, like, we're just missing something? I I don't know. It just looks weird. I just kept thinking like I was head... like... It doesn't look like there's like a spray exploding. It just looks like it's like just kind of gone. Yeah, it's just like gray and dark. Yeah. And I'm like, is that supposed to be... I don't know. It's a, it's a baffling panel to me. So... It is really strange. And then anyway, um, right before they are going to be beaten further by the, Cy- by the Sentinels, adult Cyclops shows up. I like how you were like, why is Daredevil here? <laughs> Or something, because he has such a different outfit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah As we all I know, did. the leader of the X-Men is Matt Murdock, <laughs> Daredevil. It's like his eyes are covered. It's not a visor. What has he got? He's just got like a... It is a visor. It's he's just, just got like in. a morph suit on. <laughs> <laughs> morph suit Cyclops. It's Cyclops is one of the human beings from Community. <laughs> Oh, boy. So they all have new outfits. What do you think of these new outfits? They are kind of just in this run, and they really don't show up again. Okay, I've got to pull it back up so I can get my, my an accurate reaction here, because I definitely just, like, I was like, oh, is that, I guess that's Cyclops. You had a more strong reaction to a different costume, so I, I'm Oh, oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. You Emma, want- F- Emma Frost. Yep. How does her jacket stay on? Uh, it has to be painted on. It's open it's, past her navel. It's it, it, it's just liquid latex they've just painted on her. It has to be done every day before she leaves the house because there is no amount of body tape that's keeping that on. It's it's pretty wild. I'm fairly certain that one was a was a Chris Bachalo uh designed one in he does a lot of stylistic stuff that doesn't always make sense on, like, a real human body. Yeah. And, like, the thigh-high boots, mm-hmm. it, you know, that is it, that that suits Emma Frost, but they're very high. They are very high. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Can I have women be comfy? Let, and, nope, can't be comfy. To be fair, Cyclops' outfit does not look very comfy. See, let me tell you how Emma Frost really keeps the outfit on. She has to, like, use her powers. Is she just not wearing an outfit and convincing people that that's what's on her? Or, like, wearing, like, sweats and a t-shirt? <gasps> I love this theory. And it is absolutely what is happening right now. She is wearing the comfiest sweats ever and making everybody think that this is what she's wearing. Just, it is the only explanation that makes sense. I just like the Emma Frost wearing, like, one of Scott's old, like, t-shirts with, like, ketchup stains on it. <laughs> and just projects that. 
<laughs> you know, uh, leisure wear Emma Frost is uh, is is a good theory. Now, who's got the huge sword? That's Ilyana. Oh, that's her soul sword. Oh, that's right. Yep, she has a soul sword. Do you, I think? Do you not have a soul sword? No, I don't. Oh, okay. That's unfortunate. Because Ilyana has a soul has a soul sword. <laughs> Her so, outfit is also kind of wild. Uh, yeah. It looks a lot like Emma's in some ways. I mean, hers is, like, physically possible, though. True. It is. It's, it's scant. I mean, I can handle scantily clad. I, I, I get it. Right. But, like, things scantily that... Scantily clad, d- but physically impossible. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a good look. I think Magneto has a pretty good costume here. The gray. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. I even like Cyclops's because his visor makes his his eyes shoot out like X's. But right now his powers are kind of going funky after the Phoenix, so they like shoot out like little like wavy ribbons. Oh, yeah. You'll in some of the art you can kind of see it like swirling around like snakes. Oh. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, anyway, um, but what? Uh, and and he's got. He's got Young Angel on his... Cyclops has Young Angel. Yes, along with some X-Men you probably don't know. So I was going to bring them up. You have Fabio Medina, who is known as Gold Balls. That's gold, an unfortunate... Well, his power thing. is that he shoots out these little gold these little like gold balls out of him. And they like bounce off of stuff and they say, poink. That's specifically the sound effect. So do they come but, out fast? Yeah, when? they just fly all over the place. I, I don't know if they're particularly painful. I think he can control them to make them shoot harder. Oh, okay. But the first time it's revealed, they're inside and they start bouncing all over the place. And Adult Cyclops says, yeah, maybe that's an outside toy. (laughs) (laughs) You have Hijack, uh, David Bond, who has, like, powers over electrical stuff. He uh, eventually is sent home and then comes back. But he doesn't get a lot in this crossover. Triage, I didn't know anything about triage is christopher muse he has incredible healing powers well i got that that's that becomes pretty apparent yes Mm -hmm. uh he i think out of all of those kids gets like kind of the most time since he has to deal with the crippling fact that he might have control over life and death itself which i guess you know that's that's a pretty big emotional weight so is cyclops the leader of this team correct how did how did magneto and emma agree to this um, <laughs> Emma's always kind of let Cyclops be the leader of teams. I guess that's teams. fair. But um, I think Magneto, I can't remember why he did, but he definitely did. And like for like a good amount of time, I think he maybe thought that he needed to hear some other ideas or something. But yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting. So as far as the kids, we also still have Morph, Benjamin Deeds, who's kind of a shapeshifter, but he's more like an empathic shapeshifter. Like he tries to... Which is a little bit like a bunch of other people's powers. And then you have Tempest Ava Bell, who's a time manipulator. Mm. She's like the the one young lady on this team who's not the cuckoos. Yeah. I think she's a little older than them. But she can kind of make time bubbles where like time moves slower or faster in the bubble. That's useful. It is useful. She eventually does. She gets a, an interesting story later on. But yeah, they show up. They beat up the Sentinels. Um, Cyclops maybe dies, young Cyclops, but maybe just a coma, gets healed. Mm-hmm. Adult Cyclops disappears. This, is, so I got to ask your opinion since this is, uh, this is kind of uh, a mini X-Men Civil War sort of situation. Yeah. Would you send the, demand those kids be sent back or would you let them pick? 
I mean, to me, it doesn't make... I'm, I guess you have to keep in mind that Jean knows that she's going to die. Yes, Jean knows that she is she's, destined to... I mean, we're, we're all going to die, but, like... She she specifically knows if she goes back to the past and things just go the way they're supposed to go, that she is definitely going to die two times. Mm-hmm. She's going to die as the phoenix. And she seems fairly certain that even if Charles Xavier erases her memory, she's become too powerful and will remember it. And that would be kind of a horrible way to go through life, knowing right. that those things were coming. That's and true. that would probably change the future itself, too. But, like, there's no way they can't not go back. Yeah, at some point they have to, like, continue to live the rest of their, their natural lives. Yeah, I kind of thought that was odd, too. Eventually, in extermination, when they when they go back, they just kind of hand wave it. It seems like they're like, right. "We'll just go back, and we're gonna we can really do a good job erasing your memories." I just I can't see the benefit of letting them stay just because I I, I don't know. I don't think it solves any problems letting them stay. Like Gene <laughs> might not want to go back and face all that, uh-huh. but like this is just I don't know. You can't can't live in a fairy tale forever. I guess that's true. <laughs> hey, what's up? You have to die. And then die again. Yeah. But you get to come back, you know. Well, she doesn't know that. At this she point, doesn't know at it, At this yeah. point in time, Jean Grey is, you know, the adult Jean Grey yes, is yes. dead. And has been for a while. She was dead from, like, 2001 to, like, 2017. That was a long time. Oh, that is a long time. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2001. Was that when New X-Men started? Well, anyway, 2001, 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. Still, very long time in comics. But I think part of that was mitigated by the fact that there was a young gene, so we still had some gene content. Right, right. I don't really know. Uh, I never I never think you should make decisions for people, so that's always a toughie. But they are also kids, and they were brought here. I mean, but their older versions are also part of making this decision, too. Yeah, I guess that there is a big philosophical question of are they two separate people? I mean, it, by them choosing to stay here, they are putting the lives of their future selves at risk. True. So I think the older selves get a say in it. Oh, I think this is maybe the most nuanced conversation that's ever happened about this particular crossover. I think I think we're we're putting out I think we're putting out some good pod, Christy. I'm gonna say that to the audience. This is good pod. <laughs> I love future or alternate versions of teams. So I was so pumped at the end of the first issue when the the, the future X Men showed up. Oh my gosh. And you had you had the team ups of past and present and future or present and future like everybody had like a double and it was they they would be saying the same things at the same time there's the bit and where i was just like ah past beast and present beast look at future beast and they both say fascinating at the same time <laughs> yeah <laughs> or both kitty pride saying oh no at the same time right this reminds me of when me and elder chrislet were both sitting on the bed looking at like electronic devices and we both had the same leg crossed over our knee mm-hmm. and had one hand behind our Yes, I heads. took I took a picture of it and I was like you just have to see what you and your son are doing right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's kind of like that. They do a lot of that stuff. I mean, I hope they don't do too much more. They really went for it pretty hard. 
Yeah, I think they kind of they kind of chill out on it. Okay, a bit as the I'm like, goes on. It, it it'll get old real fast. There were some fun yucks. There were some fun yucks. Please don't overdo it. There's a couple of things I have questions on. Deadpool, cool. Sure, he's in the future X Men. Molly Hayes from the Runaways, I'm cool with that too. Mm-hmm. I feel like nobody was was answering Bobby when he's like, "Is this me? Do I become a mindless ice Hulk? This is not okay." Like he he answered he asked it a lot. Like both yeah. versions of Bobby, the past and the present, and like nobody answered them. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else. I guess we're supposed to assume. I thought, yeah, that was. That's kind of interesting how, I mean, how? Right. How? How? Are we, Kitty Pride says, or, you know, remind, remind me to moisturize because old Kitty Pride's old. Well, what are you going to do, Kitty? Everybody gets old. Yeah. Then we get Xavier, who is Charles Xavier's grandson. Mm-hmm. And then you get the young old Jean Grey. Or the old young Jean Grey, rather. Well, not like old, old. She looks like, I don't know, just like a woman in her 30s, probably. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. With the, I, That's not what I was thinking. The, oh, who do you, you think Zorn had, was? I had no idea. So, a little background on Zorn, because I don't think we've talked about Zorn before. Yeah. Zorn showed up in the Morrison run. So, new X-Men. You know, big, big X-Men defining run. Mm-hmm. As a Chinese mutant who had like a like a neutron star or something for like a head. And that's why he kept the helmet on all the time. Mm-hmm. But then it turns out the entire thing was a ruse and it was Magneto the whole time. Oh. And he kills Gene and then sets up this whole like evil plan with, uh, I don't think he goes on asteroid M. Well, anyway, he does this big, this big evil plan and then ends up getting defeated. But then they decided that they really didn't like that, like portrayal of Magneto. Since there's been times where Magneto's been good and he did some like truly despicable things. Yeah. So then they make it that it was Zorn the entire time. And Zorn was a different person who is impersonating Magneto. Not like mind controlling him, just doing a really good impersonation. Like looking like him and everything and did all this. And it's like the biggest, weirdest retcon ever because it literally takes the culmination of Grant Morrison's X-Men run and just like goes, nope, at the end. And that was not Morrison's intent. Morrison like 100% meant it to be Magneto the entire time. Yeah. But that's what happened. Well, anyway, because Zorn killed Gene, that's why when when they said like, yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't know who would be at first either, but the reveal's a really cool like full page spread. Of mm-hmm. that, that Stuart Eminent goodness. So do we get more info about why Jean has to, future Jean has to stay in this suit? She says her powers have gotten too great. Okay. But then there's something later that kind of, kind of countermands that. So I'm honestly not certain, but she has to put the helmet like immediately back on because right. it's like, I don't know if it's painful or what, but her powers are too much. So the young Xavier, do you feel like he was supposed to be portrayed as older than Gene or younger? I don't know. Cause... But regardless, I don't feel like he's supposed to be like, like, if he's in his 20s, I feel like that's generous. So he'd be at the most like 10 years younger than Gene. Mm-hmm. So that would mean he would already have been born. Oh. And I just get really confused about the like... Charles Xavier's grandson. So Charles only has one child as far as I can remember, and that's David Holler, Legion. Mm-hmm. 
and he has not had kids. So I just, that one was weird to me. And that, that's, that's, I think what, that's when I started to get that Jean Grey feeling of how Jean Grey, the younger one thinks that everything's fishy. I was like, how is this guy Charles Xavier's grandson? Yeah. And it might explain it later. I honestly can't remember, but I, I still go back and think like, like, how can he be like a grown man when it doesn't seem like it's like that far in the future? I don't know. Maybe, maybe older Jean Grey is supposed to be like in her forties or something. Cause like Kitty's like probably in her fifties or sixties. All right. I, I find it really hard to pinpoint anybody's age in comics. Actually, yeah, it's hard. It's like, and it might not even be worth talking about, to be honest. So, if if there was other other mentionables, yeah, yeah. It took me, it took me a little bit to wrap my brain around. Oh, this future Jean Grey is the Jean Grey that would be if past Jean Grey doesn't go back to the past. Because I was like, why is why does Jean still look all youthful and Kitty is... Right. And um, I've read ahead, in a later issue they literally, like, hammer that out. Oh, okay. Completely. Like, they make it, like, completely explicit that it is absolutely her. I just know this from ahead of time and it's, it's just what makes sense. Right, right. Because I'm like, I was like, oh, this... There's no way that they would know that Jean was going to be coming back from the dead. Right. Yeah. Like, that would be, like, huge spoiler for a story that But it also, off, yeah. it also just kind of added to the mystery of this story. Like, who's lying? Is anyone lying? What's the real deal that's going on here? Who is this? Mm-hmm. There's kind of a lot of questions and that I feel like the, that is brought about by this story. Um, did you like the scene... Where you see them all talking, and then you see it from Jean's perspective, and them all talking kind of grayed out. And oh, her yeah. Thoughts. Yeah. What's wild about that is he didn't even reuse art. He just did different angles. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love when they do stuff like that in movies, too. Like, you see the scene one way, and you think this is happening, and then you see it in a different way, and it's like, oh, this is what's going on. Right. It's, it was fun. It's so cool that they did it in a comic. Yeah. I really like creative uses of the medium, and I think that's a, a neat way to do it. Mm-hmm. After that, though, there's there's a lot of good there's a lot of good talking about destiny and Cyclops being a good boy. But I'd say that third issue, that X Men, it wasn't like the world's most exciting. They're just kind of looking for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it creeps me out when kid. Kid Xavier says my dear to everybody. I didn't even I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it's weird. Especially since Gene is probably older than him. He he says, Oh, like, oh, oh, excellent, my dear. And I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> but it's very Charles Xavier, so I get it. Right. Young Gene and young Cyclops have some some fun moments. I know you thought it was a little bit uh cringy when they have to change their outfits oh and cyclops is like whoa and grabs a sheet and is like all embarrassed that he accidentally fell over i mean but he's so earnest like yeah if it was like cyclops cannot be creepy he's just too he's just too like nerdy and awkward mm-hmm. and he's not like nerdy and a per, he's not like a pervy nerd he's literally just like like a, just a big old nerd mm-hmm. so yeah uh it's interesting because for a while they tried to do this separation of Gene and Scott thing because of what they knew. And it kind of like turned Gene off of 
being in a relationship with him because she didn't like the idea of being destined. Oh. And so this is kind of trying I don't to want like, to do it because somebody told me it was going right. to happen. Yeah. Especially since they'd only known each other like a few weeks when they get moved over to the future. Oh, so yeah. this is trying to, I think, pull them back again. But again, this isn't the end of the story. Right. So they like shoot back off again. Uh. They like end up like as I think Cyclops ends up dating like Bloodstorm, who is like a vampire version of Storm from another dimension. Okay. But it's just it's interesting what I feel like this story was trying to do and just what ultimately ends up happening, just given the fact that I know a lot about X Men. I feel like I could talk about this in a lot better detail than say War of the Gods because my knowledge of nineties DC just isn't that are Gene and Strong. Cyclops Cory and Topanga? In some ways. But I think that's hard to say after like Emma gets brought into the mix and has been with Cyclops for like that's true. 17 years or something now. That's true. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like in this moment that just that fun, cute little like Gene eyeing Cyclops and just is sweet. I thought it was yeah, sweet. Gene definitely does get like a peep at Cyclops' chest and it's like, yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> that's I I think it's good when it when it's not just like men who get like interested physically in somebody. I think it makes You think it's good then we acknowledge that that women have have feelings? <laughs> Coming from like me a cis a cis man is like <laughs> Hey, I like this thing that's obvious to everybody else. <laughs> but sometimes, like, comics are not always super good at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the women that get to have sexual or, like, ex- express feelings of attraction mm-hmm. are normally, like, your villains or your, your, ba- your, your women in shades of, shades of gray. Your, your cat women. Yeah. Yeah. Your your black cats. So it's nice to see good girl Jean Grey get to experience something that is very normal and natural and does not mean that she is. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, what are you? Yeah. What kind of message are you sending if you just like portray like, like. You're a bad girl if you you find somebody attractive. And otherwise you're literally just like, like you were a receptacle for, for like attractive feelings rather than being able to have your own. Yeah. That's weird. So it is good that you appreciate and like it, even though it should be an obvious thing that should be everywhere. But all women, (laughs) well, I guess not. Some women are asexual. A lot of women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Experience feelings of attraction. And it doesn't say anything about their character. Not at all. (laughs) There we go. There we go. It's so funny. I put Stuart Eminent in my notes like a bunch of times. I just go, Stuart Eminent, Stuart Eminent, Stuart Eminent. Because I just took notes as I was going through it. I would just see a page that I loved of his and be like, ah. Issue three had David Lopez on art. I had some some real issues with Jean Grey's hairline on the motorcycle. Yeah, it wasn't the. I don't think that art was the most consistent. Yeah, sometimes it looks good, spot on, and sometimes, sometimes there's the teeth. And there's the teeth. Jubilee's teeth. Jubilee hands off Shogo, and then Shogo's crying and looks like a tiny, like baby adult monster. Well, that 
That is something many artists struggle. We've seen a lot of bad babies. <laughs> so many bad babies. <laughs> I would love if someone made an art book of ter- terrible children. <laughs> and God. just it just goes like it's it's called like the book of bad babies. <laughs> oh. Oh. Oh, but yeah, some people just like are like I look at an infant and they're like, I don't know how to draw this. It's not a new problem. It's not. Medieval artists literally just shrunk down men. <laughs> yes, using the same proportion. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like nobody could get a kid to sit still long enough to figure out how they look. They're like, whatever. <laughs> <sighs> well, we are kind of approaching toward the end of the show. Do you want to get into our accolades? Yes, accolades. All right. All right, my best line is Wolverine, where he is talking to the the future X Men, and they're t- telling the you know they're going to make a terrible mistake that affects the future. And Wolverine says, "And which of our terrible mistakes are you referring to?" <laughs> <laughs> because they have so many. Oh, oh, yeah that that that's a good one. I it's a it's a very self aware. Comment. This is a very self-aware comic. It, it is, is, because my best line is also pretty self-aware. Oh, great. So mine comes from Triage talking with Cyclops after Triage is, like, freaking out about having saved uh, or brought Cyclops back to life. And Cyclops is like, oh, it's no big deal. And Triage is just like, I think that you X-Men are so used to the space and time and life and death craziness in your lives that you don't even notice how crazy it is anymore. That's fair. That gets touched upon later, too, uh, in another issue. Someone says something similar, which is basically like, you're all so terribly maladjusted. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and that's fair. I love the new kids in X-Men because sometimes they're like, this is what? Yeah, it's like a fresh perspective on the craziness that is the life of X-Men. I think that they can sometimes act as like a point of view for like if a new reader is trying to get into it. Right. Just be kind of the voice of the reader. They can kind of lampshade it and be like, yeah, we know. (laughs) Things get kind of wild. All right. Who's your greatest hero, Christy? All right. My greatest hero is the leftover Chinese food. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That Kitty and Rachel enjoy. Because, gosh, you can always depend on the leftover Chinese. You know, it just, just having leftover Chinese is like just a sigh of relief. It is. When you're like really hungry on a Saturday and you're like, oh, what do I have? Oh, man, we've got some general says in the fridge. (laughs) Yeah. Rachel's, what, like, stress-eating PCU noodles? Yep. So, you know, the good, dependable, (laughs) leftover Chinese food. That's my greatest hero. My greatest hero is a real human being. (laughs) (laughs) I picked triage for saving the entire timeline by bringing Scott Summers back. I guess that's a much more obvious choice. <laughs> Even though he had like a freak out afterwards. And a lot of times he doesn't get to do a whole lot because he can't really like fight people. Right. But he does like perfect healing. He's just healing. the healer. Yeah. Yeah. I love um, X-Men healing powers because they don't even try to bother explaining them. They're like, he just touches you and you're better. All right, cool. Mm. 
Well, do you have a coolest moment? I sure do. My coolest moment, I think, is mostly just due to the... I, I love the fun nature of the art uh, where we get to see Jean Grey uh, tele- or telepathically projecting into the sky Animax's entire life. Yeah. Way to do an invasion of privacy. But that was actually a pretty cool page. That was that was some Frank Cho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if he wasn't such a creep, sometimes he I does mean, some really great art. There, there's a lot of fun details in it. A lot of story that you can get from just one page. Yeah, somebody's entire life on one page. Mine was another sort of big one page spread. I liked the the appearance of the future X Men all at once. And yeah. like I said earlier, I'm just such a, I am a mark, a sucker for like a good alternate team. And I, when I saw it the first time, I was just trying to pick out like, oh, who's that? Oh, that's definitely Deadpool. I was like, oh, who's that? Who's that big burly brunette lady? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, that's, that's probably Iceman because it's kind of icy, but what, maybe like, what is it? Oh. Yeah. When I, when I saw that page, I was like, oh, these are the people from the very beginning that I didn't know who they were. Yeah. Like I didn't realize they were future versions of them. The ones that Ilyana saw. But it's just, it's a Stuart Eminem page and it's just, I'm such a sucker for it. If mm-hmm. I had to have a runner up, it would be the Jean face reveal where she takes off her. Oh yeah. Mask. That was also cool. Eminem's art is so beautiful. It's really hard for me to really downplay how much I love it. <laughs> All right. Do you have a silly villainy? Silly villainy goes to Jubilee's teeth. (laughs) (laughs) From just looking evil? There's a weird amount of... I can't... I I don't know if it's better that it might be, like, the bottom teeth that we're seeing some interesting gum things, or if she's just supposed to have really rounded top teeth. I don't know. But bad teeth. Bad teeth. That's my silly villainy, because I don't know who the bad guys are. Yeah, that's a tough one here. It's just kind of everybody arguing. Um, I mean, my... it's like real life. It's just like, it's just like real life. <laughs> no one's a villain. There are villains in real life. Yeah. Mine is going to be for the younger Charles Xavier for just kind my of... My dear. My, the my dear is weird. He's just kind of like that the entire kinda time. Kind of creepy. He just seems like he's about ready to, like, neg you, like... Oh, that's like you're in a pretty cute dress for like a for like an, a girl who looks as old as you do. You know, things like that. Right. Yeah. He definitely looks like he's ready to like backhanded compliment you. Yeah, he does give off a really weird vibe of all the future. Mm. Like I would totally trust the future X-Men if it weren't for Xavier's quote-unquote grandson, if we're believing he's his grandson. It's something. He's, he's got those Xavier eyebrows. Like, he literally is just being exactly like Charles Xavier if he was younger. <laughs> and it's just but like... didn't Charles uh, Xavier at that age have hair? I don't know. He's, I don't think his baldness has the origin story that Lex Luthor's does. <laughs> but it might. Uh, I'm not sure. But him just being creepy... Uh, he takes a drug, the cerebro spike. It looks like a little like pill or something. Oh yeah, that just I guess enhances his powers. Yeah, and then maybe he can make holographics with it. I'm not sure because he's like beep booping. Yeah. Uh, for readers, when I say beep booping, I usually mean like doing computer stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he beep booping. 
Are you excited to get to the next installment? I feel like there's still so many mysteries that we need to uncover. Oh, yeah. Like, I really don't know who I'm rooting for in this. Us. Us. That we get a really good and and cohesive story that makes a lot of sense and moves the timeline forward and has impacts at last. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, readers, I think that's going to be our show. Thank you for joining us again this week. We are really thrilled to be back on X-Men because I feel like uh, I know a lot more about X-Men than uh, a bunch of other stuff. I feel like I know an equally little amount about everything. (laughs) (laughs) I feel, you know, I'm kind of taking baby steps on all fronts. It's true. Just all, but it's it's always moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I always feel like I know so little. And then I just talk to like normal everyday people in my life and I am the comics expert. And it's just like mind blowing. They don't know who Cable is. Right. Or Strife. You had somebody ask you at work who Strife was. Right. Because they were playing Legendary. Yeah. And the board game Legendary. Yes. And they were like, who's Strife? And you're like, it's Cable's clone. And they're like, who's Cable? They, they might have known cable. no i think they knew cable yeah because uh, they knew cable from from the, the cartoon i think right? from the deadpool movie oh yeah that's probably a lot more people's touchdown yeah which is weird i mean it makes sense mm-hmm. but i just i always forget i forget the cables in that movie because <laughs> he's just not quite like my cable right yeah wow well, anyway, readers, um, if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, before our next episode, you can always email us on chrisisoninfiniteearths at gmail.com. Yes, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook at Chris's Pod. We always appreciate those five-star reviews on iTunes or Stitcher, whatever your, your podcatcher is. Or even on Facebook. Yeah, that's fine, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, uh, if you don't like the whole recurring payment thing of a Patreon, you can donate to our podcast at www.ko-fi.com slash Chris's on Infinite Earths. In any $3 increment, we will shout you out on the show, and we will uh, very much appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And until next time, slay your enemies, and all you desire shall be yours.